Chapter Three of Dress Design: An Account of Costume for Artists and Dressmakers by Talbot Hughes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Libby Gone. Dress Design: An Account of Costume for Artists and Dressmakers by Talbot Hughes. Chapter Three, Part One, Tenth to the Fifteenth Century, Female. The headdress of women now began to show a preference to confine the hair with nets and to close in the face, which continued till the 15th century. The circlet and long plate or plates and the flowing hair remained till the 14th century. In the 12th century we discover the hair gathered in nets at either side of the head and covering the ears. A low-crowned hat was bound over with a band of lawn or fine material passing underneath the chin, otherwise the plates were looped up under a circlet which was also worn with the flowing hair. A square effect was aimed at in the 13th century, with tight side plates bound into a shape, or netted hair was strapped to the head, as in figure 11. A fall of fine material softened the hard effect, and many ladies of quality bound the face, neck, and head in the wimple of fine linen sometimes gathering this to the same quaint shape of the netted hair. I give a variety of these settings on page 65. A kerchief of linen coming round the neck was brought up tightly round the face and festooned on top of the head, while another piece was pinned close to the brows and fell loosely to the shoulders, being often held on by a circlet as well. This character was maintained till the early 14th century, when a style of high-peaked hats came into evidence one shape of which became the most imposing feature of historic costume in the fifteenth century it was still but a simple form in the middle of the fourteenth century for another shape first gained predominance early in this century also may be noted a curious shape like the cap of liberty usually with a long tail at the back as drawn on page fifty nine this carried design to the eccentric forms of the pigtailed hood and then the rival of the high-peaked hat took its place towards the end of the fourteenth century a cushioned headdress which rose and divided in a horn-like structure it started as in figure twenty five and i have illustrated its progress the veil draping was a great feature giving plenty of scope for individual fancy it was as a rule richly decorated with gold and jewels and the hair was completely enclosed in a gold net and a tight-fitting cap to hold this erection long drop earrings were much worn and a fine chain of gems encircled the neck or fell to the breast in the tenth century a long close-fitting robe was in fashion sometimes with a deep v-shaped neck opening though usually the neck was cut to a round form some sleeves were tighter with a small cuff but usually the outer garment had a falling sleeve with a square or rounded end showing the tight undersleeve the outer sleeve varied much in length from the elbow or hands dropping even to the ground it was narrow and had widened through the fourteenth century when its edge was cut into various patterns as in figure eighteen in the thirteenth century we notice a long sleeve opened at the elbow for the undersleeve to come through which beautiful style continued to the middle of the seventeenth century with the tenth century came the first corselet from the waist to the hip clasping a loose tunic with an underdress taking a long pointed train the manner of tucking the tunic under the corselet when it was worn over it and so creating festoons is worthy of noticing as interesting in arrangement and design. The thirteenth century party-coloured and striped dresses foreshadowed the heraldic fashion, which must be studied for its proportion and treatment of decorative colour values in counterchange to get the true value of its noble effects. A great feature now appears in a chasuble-shaped front, or setting to a close-cut jacket. 
This ultimately becomes the decorative stomacher through the later periods, and it is very interesting to note its development. In the 13th century, this jacket was a fur construction of a long, simple form, opened at the sides to the hips for the sleeves to come through. It had a straight hem or was rounded at the front points, and the chasuble form of it was treated as in figure 13, or in conjunction with a short cape. It was chiefly a decoration of ermine. It grew into a complete jacket, and in the 14th century it was heavily ornamented with gems, and the simple front, from being a feature outside the jacket, was later often enclosed at the sides. The jacket itself is beautiful in form and proportion, and the curved bands of design over the hips makes a nice foil to the curved front. This pattern is plainly derived from the effect of the rich girdle that was first seen through the side openings, and a few jackets are without it. The usual shaping of the neck with most of these was square. In the first quarter of the 14th century, the setting of the neck was of a round shape, and after 1350 a raised or curved form is favoured. Later still, and with the horn-like headdress, a very deep V-shape, open almost to the belt, was the mode, often being filled in with velvet. At the same time, some began to take up the fashions of a very high collar and a round-shaped body and sleeves, as in figure 24, with which a wide-pointed belt is seen. Some robes were opened in the front up to the height of the girdle, though many dresses were worn without girdles after the 12th century. Decorated pockets are sometimes seen in the later period, and an interesting hand covering or falling cuff came with them. The cloak, as described in the 10th century, still continued to the 12th, as well as the light wrap, which may almost be placed with any period, though mostly a feature of the more classic styles. Skirts and underskirts were worn with trains. They were mostly banded with wide borders of ornament up to the 13th century, the fullness being often gathered to the back and front. The chasuble-shaped overdress was worn to the middle of the 14th century, sleeveless and laced or sewn tight to the figure from the arm to the hip, or completely down the sides, generally reached just below the knee. The shoes were of much the same character as those of the male examples illustrated, though they hardly reached the same extravagance in length, owing no doubt to the feet of woman being hampered by her skirt, but I suspect they even braved high wooden clogs, as we know they did the tall Chopin of the 16th century, to heighten their stature. Part 2. 10th to the 15th century. Male. From the 10th to the 15th century we find costume developing rapidly into elaborate and interesting designs. Close relations with the continent brought new ideas, and rich velvets and brocades interwoven with gold enhanced the gorgeousness of attire, while the introduction of heraldic design brought in a very picturesque element. Hats and headdresses began to become important features, enlarging to eccentric shapes and proportions, only equalled in the extravagant part of the 18th century. It may be noted that feminine fashion, as it assumes new characters and proportions, affects the style of the male clothes in the same way, as when a higher pointed headdress comes in, the male hat also increases its size, the same with curved or angular designs, full or tight sleeves. The hair was worn long and rather squared in shape at the back till the end of the 15th century. A tendency to shut in the face by close hoods tied under the chin is remarked, and this forms a strong feature of the 13th and 14th centuries. Earrings were seldom worn after the 10th century, but the neck was generally adorned with heavy chain decorations. Beards assumed a pointed shape in accordance with this development of fashion, and double-pointed beards were revived between 1380 and 1386. 
hats of straw with mushroom brims and round tops came into vogue in the eleventh century covered with coloured materials and finished with a spike or button at the top and the crowns of these took a pointed shape in the fourteenth century the usual cap with folded brim had a loose crown and we found this begin to lengthen and fall over to one side in the eleventh century and continued to elongate till in the fifteenth century it often dropped to the knee in a long thin point in the fourteenth century it took a fullness of loose folds with serrated or foliated edges falling to the shoulder as in figure fifteen a close helmet-shaped cap is seen in the twelfth century with a falling point from the crown and the thirteenth century brought in the higher crowned hat with a long peaked front turned up at the back feathers were worn at the front back or side of hats and sometimes on the front of hoods these increased their dimensions in height and peak till the straight-up high hat which was often brimless came in the fifteenth century the early hood or cowl soon began to vary its designs for in the thirteenth century it was often a part of or attached to a chasuble shape falling back and front or with a long front stopping at a short cape length behind a note of interest in the fourteenth century appears where the forehead part of the hood is turned up showing a coloured lining and at times the fashionable serrated edge surrounding the face is seen the chasuble shaped garment was a feature often worn over the coat until the end of the fifteenth century and was generally worn long with the elongated fashion of the fourteenth century and short with the shorter tunics of the fifteenth century they are found very wide in the fourteenth century and so fall down over the shoulder where they are often laced a short distance up creating an interesting feature cloaks were not so much in favour with the heavier cowl and cape but they were used fastened by brooches to either shoulder rather than at the back after the twelfth century a very tight-fitting suit called justicorps came into use from the twelfth century and developed a padded round-shaped body towards the end of the fourteenth century the closely cut body was buttoned up to the throat or was set with a high collar for the first time the tights came over it sometimes rather high up to the waist being laced to it a long tunic was chiefly favoured during the tenth and eleventh centuries with short or long cuffless sleeves and a full bell-shaped falling sleeve showed the close-fitting under one these tunics were chiefly open at the neck as in the earlier times though a slight difference to be noted is a v-shaped opening in the fourteenth century which is developed in the fifteenth century they were also split up the sides even to the hips some were very full in shape and were gathered to either side as in the illustration others had the body closely fitted and full only in the skirt but as a rule one finds this latter shape only reaches just below the knee they were often tucked into the belt in front showing a rich underskirt the girdle beside the belt was worn over the hips with the longer tunics as in figure twenty eight the dagger and pouch being carried in front on the girdle and not the belt a small dagger was often slung at the back or front of the neck as an ornament at the end of the fourteenth century tights to the waist were worn with both long and short tunics and retained the crossed bindings up the legs to the thirteenth century in the various designs of page fifty three party-coloured tights came in with the fourteenth century carrying out the heraldic character of dress and this may be found till about fifteen thirty a sandal shoe was much worn up to the twelfth century with strappings to various heights up the leg this even over the short top boots but the usual shoe opened down the front of the instep to the toe which was rather pointed in shape and it was curved or square at the ankle the illustration gives a good variety of the prevalent forms 
The stocking boot is also another characteristic of this earlier time, as well as the commoner's woollen gaiters, worn as in figure 30, on the seated figure, which were used to the middle of the 16th century. In the illustrations which show no shoe on the tights, it will be understood that a sole of leather was sewn onto the under part of the foot. This practice is even seen today on the continent, where the clog is mostly in use. A soft boot, reaching to the calf, was worn till the 15th century, with the top folded or trimmed with fur, the latter being generally laced down the front, even to the instep. The shape of these only varied in the length of the pointed toes as the style developed. The long pointed shoes began to increase all through the 13th century, and in the 14th century they reached their greatest length, when the points were often tied up to a garter just below the knee. Wooden clogs were much used, and were often considerably raised. Iron circular supports were also in use at the end of this time. These were the foretaste of the eccentric Chopin of the 16th century, which were more favoured on the continent than here. The pointed toes were also made to curl outwards, giving a splay-footed effect late in the 14th century. End of chapter 3